Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode is about family. This conversation, as most are, are inspired by our personal lives. And Jenna and I just got off of two family visits. I had my sister come into town, and she had her twin brother. So we thought, what better an opportunity than to really begin to dive into this topic and really begin to explore the different ways that we navigate our family relationships at different stages of our healing journey. It makes me laugh to even think of diving into the topic of family because family is such a, just a vast concept even really. What I consider family may be very different from what someone else considers family and both are incredibly valid and both are likely very triggering in some ways as family usually means our closest connection or for many of us our core connection or the earliest ones that we had when we were younger. That's talking about specifically blood family or those caregivers around us who very likely may not be blood. I know a lot of what I considered in reflection family as a child was not blood. They were neighbors. They were teachers. They were community members that really kind of stepped in and became my closest caregivers. Though when we peel back and we think of family in general, very often triggers and wounding do come up for a whole vast array of very valid reasons. And we actually tried recording this last week. I think this is our second or third attempt. Um, We had had our team come and visit for work. And then the next week, Nicole's sister came to visit. And then the next week after that, uh, my twin brother came and they overlapped a night. And it was incredible, really incredible and raw to have these people and this closeness and kind of new connections and new relationships formed as we're all in new places in our lives. And it also was very emotional. It definitely depleted my resources. I think I started crying multiple times during that last recording, ended it not even with an episode because we just needed to hit pause and actually go sleep, take care of ourselves first so that we could then actually even navigate family, which I think is such a great representation of our work in general, is that we do have to turn to us first, ask ourselves what it is that we need, look after and take care of us first, and then we can go and look externally at our family. And I think where you're starting us here, Jenna, is a really, really great place to start, which is how challenging you know, our family relationships can be. And again, whether or not that's blood relatives or periphery caregivers that some of us had, the earliest relationships are so impactful. Um, And the reason why is because within our earliest relationships, you know, as human infants, we have needs and we are completely reliant or dependent on someone showing up to meet our needs. And of course, as the little adaptable beings that we all are, we learn how to fit into whatever environment, whatever relationship that we find ourselves in. And for the many of us who you know, didn't have caregivers that were attuned to themselves, knew how to meet their own needs so that they could even then show up for someone else, usually what happens is we adapt, we modify ourselves, we begin to wear a mask or play a role or suppress or squash our needs. And then the more consistently we do that, and this then happens when we go into school. And now it's not just our core relationships of our family for whatever they are for us. It's now our peers. And what happens is we repeat the same way of being in our relationships with our peers. 
So why are we talking about this? And where does family come back into the picture? Because so many of us aren't our authentic selves. We've learned how to fit into our system. It's literally when we are still in relationship with those core people that all of those older ways of being come up. And we use the word like, I'm triggered, I'm reactive, I'm emotionally activated, I'm screaming, I'm yelling, I'm detaching, I'm dissociating. And a lot of times for us, that's our older patterning. Again, because that doesn't go away. Even if we have created a new family, we're in different relationships. I mean, for me, I'm living on the other side of the country. All of this patterning still lives in our subconscious mind. So when we go back to those relationships or we re-engage with those people, it's really easy then to continue to cycle in those old behaviors, to become that caregiver once again, to become emotionally reactive or like you're saying it, to become triggered or activated. So our family relationships really are, for a lot of us, a challenging place when we're beginning our healing journey. I shared a post yesterday on Instagram that was actually a reshare from my brother, Jake, who many of you know passed away in November. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I have an older brother who's just a year older. Um, and he died in November. I want to say suddenly because no one really expects someone to die, um, though he died after many years of a period of sobriety and recovery from addiction. So it was a bit blindsiding. He overdosed in September and then he was dead two months later. And even that overdose in September was incredibly blindsiding because it sort of, it came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it because I am thousands of miles away. I have created a separate life or a new life, I should say, that is very different from the life that I came from. And in the cultivation of that, I also did place boundaries. I placed distance in some ways. And I'm grateful because the result of those boundaries over years actually opened up the opportunity to connect to Jake during his recovery, to connect to his heart and to his actual authentic being, to be authentically Jenna, connected and loving my brother and his true self. And I didn't have access to that self until he was in recovery, until he really broke down to the depths of his own addiction and was able to experience life and how beautiful and loving and full life is. And I share that so you get a little bit of context about Jake. I will always continue to share and really integrate Jake and Jake's love and wisdom and work into my own because it's very much the same. And he posted something a year ago on Facebook that's a quote from Ram Das that says, if you think that you're enlightened, go home and spend a week with your family. And I had reshared it because I really I thought it was hilarious. And I know he was coming from the same mindset of being years into the work where you do get to a place where you're looking at your triggers, you're looking at your wounding, you're looking at all of these parts of you that don't feel good or that you don't like, what makes you tick, what your habits are. And in that process, you know, you get triumphant, you see your growth, you see your evolution. And life has a really great way of always reminding you that you are never healed. There's no destination. The only destination we're ever getting to is actually right here in the present. So there is no end. And it makes me laugh to think of that and to see all of the responses from sharing it. A lot of people responded and said, you know, thanks, I really needed to hear this. And a lot of people really laughed because we do think that. We do think, you know, we, we get to a place that, oh, we're feeling good or 
we've evolved or we're healing, or maybe we don't even feel that. And we're just in the same spot that we were. And then we go back to our family and it's like someone has poured gasoline on the fire. Everything seems to just go out the window and we're now experiencing all of those triggers, all of that reactivity all over again. Now the newness comes in being able to witness it and then choose how we either respond to it or if we're still stuck in that trigger and that reactivity where it does feel like there's gasoline being poured on you in this fire and you don't actually have choice. What you're talking about here is the act of witnessing. And before, you know, kind of pulling us back just a moment, before we even get there, I'm going to resurrect a word you used in our take one of this episode because I thought it was so great. Um, and you described kind of being in our family dynamic or all of these habits and patterns as a vortex and a vortex that oftentimes isn't even visible to us. So before we even come to witness these older habits and patterns in ourselves, a lot of us are blind to our own vortex. We don't even see ourselves for ourselves or within these habits and patterns. And what I mean when I say that is <clears throat> a lot of us and maybe some of you listening have had the experience of going home with a best friend, with a partner or whomever at the holidays, say. And a lot of times what happens in those moments is we have that objective vantage point. We have that friend we brought home. We have that loved one, that partner that's home with us now in our family unit. And sometimes what we then hear is a reflection of these habits and patterns that we don't even see. And how this played out, I'll use an example to illustrate, how this played out in, in my early relationship with Lolly. Um, when her and I got together, I was now living in Philadelphia and I was accessible to my family who was in New Jersey, which meant for me there was a lot of FaceTime, a lot of expectation that I'm at pretty much any family holiday or obligation. Coming from a big Italian family, that was an expectation. And I showed up. And around these visits, and this was, again, not even conscious to me at first, I would have this period of activation that would happen leading up to the visit. So I would know that family dinner is happening on Sunday. And of course, there was a part of me that didn't want to go to that family dinner for whatever reason. I wanted to have my own plans. I wanted to have my own Sunday. None of this was conscious, right? I had a need and I was going to defer my need to serve my parents. So I would start to feel agitated. This agitation would leak out in my relationship with Lolly. I would get snippy. I would start to be mean to her. I would be on edge. I would be irritable, all leading up to this visit. And then this visit would come, lo and behold, she would join me at home. And what I would begin to do now to cope with my agitation is what I loved to do back at that time period in my life, which was to drink, to medicate, to numb. Because again, all of that activation, now me being present to my family, resentful that I'm at this engagement I don't want to be at, probably having other needs that I'm not expressing in that moment, definitely not being myself because I'm not honoring myself in that moment. Now I need to self-medicate. So now I'm drinking on top of it. And of course, once the visit ended, that agitation would continue. And this was a point of conflict with me and Lolly for a long while because she was starting to, again, objectively, not being me, see this cycle. And it's not to say that I didn't have this patterning within my relationship with her. Of course I did. I wasn't connected to myself. I wasn't meeting my own needs. So this didn't exist in the vacuum that was my family. It just came more to the surface around my family. And then I had Lolly, who was starting to see these shifts. And like I said, when you go home with your loved one, with your friend, a lot of us see a different side. We might see a regression. We might experience the reactivity that Lolly was experiencing in myself. And all of that is because of that vortex, right? We don't even see our patterns. We can't see how 
relationships or environments affect us until we become conscious and we do the work of beginning to explore these patterns for ourselves. You can explore this in your own lives if you think of maybe it's your partner, maybe you do have a partner or partners or you are married and have that experience of going home to your in-laws or bringing that person or persons or friends home to yours. And you may notice in the other person, or maybe you've heard it said to yourself where, you know, wow, you get a little testy around so-and-so, you know, you get a little reactive or a little punchy or a little mean. I know even while Josh was here one morning, I was probably being really snippy, whatever, dealing with whatever I was dealing with, which is a lot of, a lot of grief, a lot of emotion, a lot of heightened happiness and joy while at the same time I'm I'm mourning and feeling this deep sadness. And that polarity, while always there, can sometimes just feel like I'm a volcano, like I just need to explode and just start over from the beginning. And I know that on the surface that will come out as snippy. Maybe something that I wouldn't even notice previously would bother me immensely. And I might make a snarky remark or come back. And there was one morning where Josh said to me at, at some point, you know, you're being really mean. Like I watched you being really mean. I think I was probably complaining about something and he sort of reversed it and was like, well, let me tell you how you're being. And it, of course, <laughs> honestly pissed me off in the moment. I didn't say anything to him. And thank you, Josh, if you do ever listen to these. I do. I genuinely listen to him. I don't say anything back to him because I also have learned that my family does and will trigger me the most. And something I've learned, and I guess really practice, I practice a lot more since Jake's death, since reading just old things that he's written or letters that he's written, thoughts that he wrote specifically. I use that example because even just Josh saying, oh, you're being mean. I want to get reactive and say, well, you don't know what so-and-so <laughs> did. You have no idea what Nicole and Lolly did to piss me off so much. Like I'm very validated in why I was mean. And instead, I just stayed quiet and really looked at, okay, this is that moment where all of me wants to look the other way. I want to invalidate it. I want to be righteous. I've spent a whole life being righteous as protection when really there's something to look at there. My family has always consistently been a backdrop, really, even if it's chaos and instability, that chaos and instability has at least been consistent. So I've been able to use it as a consistent backdrop and as a marker for my own growth. Where have I grown? Where have I evolved? Where do I still need to heal? Opportunities still to heal. And I see that in witnessing my reactivity, in witnessing my triggers with them, with my blood family where I came from, which I also understand extends to anyone else. My family now is, yes, I have my twin. My mother and father are still living, and that is my blood, though I also have my chosen family here. I have two wonderful partners. I have four cats. I have a team that I love. I have this whole environment around me that is my chosen and created family. Now, those, that family, still gives me the same opportunity to witness my growth if I'm getting one step ahead and just giving myself really the gift of peeling back and witnessing myself instead of just reacting and spewing whatever out of my mouth, mm 
I actually can pause and listen and watch how I physically feel. Watch what Nicole says that maybe makes my stomach flip upside down and makes my face burn and my palms start to get sweaty and really start to get curious and say, oh, okay, why are you reacting like that body? What is here for me to discover? It's so difficult because when we peel back those those layers, you know, to look, it, it can be a really painful process. And I know for me in the beginning, um, I wanted to fight and battle. And anytime Lolly would very gently and very kindly and compassionately try to kind of drop her observations my way, I went into complete immediate defense mode. And a lot of times we do that when we see the reflection of us in our family, right? Because while we're we're not exactly like our family in different ways and probably we all assume different roles in what in the system however many individuals were a part of it there are still those pieces of us that we see in them and it's really painful when when it comes to the surface and a lot of times we don't welcome it with open arms and we def- we we remain in our vortex in denial and it's not until we can hit that pause and this isn't to say you know take your partner's word for it or take your best friend's word for it. This is to say, take the moment to then go see for yourself, which is then exactly what I did. I started to hear Lolly, you know, make these observations enough and defended them enough. And then just little by little, I I looked, I went to see for myself, you know, do, do Nicole, like, Nicole, are you experiencing agitation? Like, what is it like when you know that there's an upcoming family obligation? And the more I got honest with myself, the more I was able to see that pattern for myself, which then really brought up a really important conversation in me, which was how can I begin to explore who I am while still being in relationship with these other humans? And then it became a conversation you know, of boundaries, of how do I carve out space for me so that I can begin to, because it's not my parents or my family's obligation to pull truths out of me. It's my obligation to say, you know what, Sunday doesn't work for me. Or this constant stress around mom's health is taking a toll on me, my personal life, my work, um, my health even. Um, I had to be able to speak up for myself. And for some of us, that then means putting up boundaries, giving ourselves space, making hard decisions to say no to family obligations that maybe you were at your whole life up until then. And then we have the period of changing while in relationship with your family, which is incredibly difficult because now you have humans on the other end that, you know, assuming that some of the relationships some of us are talking about are the early ones from childhood, they've had an expectation of a lifetime. You've always been there on Sunday dinners. You've always picked up the phone when mom needs you. And now you're starting to say, wait, no, hit pause. I need distance. It's really disruptive for our family as well. Changing or growing healing in any way in relation to family or any loved one really is an incredible opportunity to cultivate and focus on that connection to yourself. Because in those moments when we are with family or extended family or whoever it is that we consider family. Whenever we're talking about family here in this episode, it's it's whoever you consider as family. It doesn't necessarily need to be a, a blood relative. So just know that as we continue to use that word. And while you're doing that in relation to these people that you love around you, 
You have to be really connected to you. You have to know who you are because it is challenging. It can be painful. It can be difficult. It's all very new. And when you become very conscious and present for the first time, you're seeing things new, literally as if you have put on these new goggles or glasses and everything appears different. Everything feels different. Your senses are different in reaction to things. And if you're not connected to you, it will feel very derailing. It will feel very challenging. You may feel like you're constantly taking steps backward instead of forward. And as you've heard us share before, any step backward isn't actually backward. What we consider sometimes is backwards is just something that is happening in the present. It's just what is. Backwards is just a perspective that we have when we look at it. So anything that we think is setting us back, if we reframe that and look at, oh, well, actually, what is this teaching me? Why did this occur? Or even just saying, you know, I'm open to being curious about why this occurred. Maybe I don't have the answer right now. When we reframe like that, we can see that absolutely anything that occurs and happens around us or anything we experience is actually propelling us to where we're going if we just take a moment to to pause and reflect. I want to go back to kind of you highlighting the importance, Jen, of honoring our individual experience. Because I think here is a lot of times, especially culturally, where a lot of us have been given different beliefs. And a lot of times when we hear family, especially from my Italian culture, there is this idea that we think of immediately the group. And we almost wash all of the individuals out of that group because we're just a group of people. And obviously the group is more similar than they are different. We really lose individuality. And I really want to redefine this. And because a lot of times I hear, you know, well, it's culture and I'm, I'm taught in my culture to respect your elders and be there for your family. And I come from a collectivist culture and a group operates um, the most cohesively or coherently when it's a sum of individuals that are different. There's such a need for all of our different strengths naturally. Um, and there's such a need for us to keep that differentiation, meaning being separate individuals. And again, a lot of times there is this belief that culture means not being individual, means putting family first. And I really want to honor that there does need to be separation, even in a family unit. We do need to learn how to be separate individuals. And then our family unit becomes even stronger. And I bring this up because I know both of us, you and I, and we've talked about this on other podcast episodes, and I'm just going to offer it again here because it has to do with family. You and I have both shared you know, decisions at different point of our lives to actually create the ultimate distance from family to, to cut off contact. And I know speaking from my own cultural heritage, you don't do that in Italian families. Family comes first, period. Um, and I'm sharing this. I was actually, I took a moment before we hit record on this episode today. Um, and I read a review of, of the book, How to Do the Work. And one of the recent reviews, it wasn't positive. And the reason it wasn't positive was essentially because the reader felt that when she came, when they came to the portion of my book where I did disclose my decision to cut off contact, it takes a complete space from my family to figure out who I am. This reader took that to mean a big, I think she even put a red flag emoji on there. Red flag, this person can't navigate relationships with their family. Clearly, they need more healing. Clearly, they shouldn't be teaching this. And again, just offering this conversation here because I know a lot of us come from these cultural beliefs that any sort of space 
between me or separation where I'm an individual and still in relationship to my family unit is really, really seen as taboo. And for a very long time, that thinking kept me connected in these resentful cycles, showing up for my family, even though I had no resources left, even though I didn't know who I was, even though I knew that ultimately doing that was draining me, I couldn't figure out the way to say no because those beliefs ran so deep. So even making the choice for me to create that separation was such a huge step, difficult, guilt-laden step on my healing journey. And again, I'm speaking that here now because I think there's so many different deep-rooted beliefs that keep some of us so stuck in these cycles. And one of them is just that. We don't feel like we have the opportunity to be a separate individual that's unique and still be part of a family system. It's really almost necessary now, I think, as a collective and as a society to accept and honor the fact that we are all connected, yes, and we are all separate, unique, expressed individuals. So when you're saying there should be separation within family, reality actually is that there is separation within family and we don't acknowledge this. Just as humans, as a species, we look at everything with a should or we do have these beliefs. We do have these stories that we're told and we choose to either resonate with them and continue them on or maybe we don't resonate with them and we continue a different one on. In many ways, that's how I view religion. Each of them is a profound, valid story and we all, some of us don't subscribe to any religion or don't identify as that. Some of us identify entirely with religions and a lot of us have friends from various different ones. Regardless of how you look at it or how you consider religion in your life, I look at it all as different stories. Some stories resonate more deeply with others. The reality at the foundation of all of it is that I am a unique, authentically expressed human being. So is Nicole. There is a oneness amongst us. There is a connectedness amongst all of us. And I don't speak, talk, or look exactly like Nicole. I don't have the same exact hobbies or passions or strengths or weaknesses as Nicole because I'm me. I'm Jenna and Nicole is her. We're already individual. Each of us can see how individual we each are. Yet we tell ourselves these stories that just become so common and so accepted of, you know, well, we should all move together. It is expected that you all show up here at Sunday dinner. It is expected that even yesterday, Nicole in a panic was like, oh my God, I didn't call my dad. It's Easter. And we thought, okay, you know, it's okay. But, you know, if do you want to call your dad? She's like, yeah, okay. Well then, Nicole, go call your dad. But I could still see you. We were all swimming in the pool actually. And you jumped up, ran out of the pool. <laughs> and I got really bummed. It was like, wait, I'm just getting in. Why are you leaving? But I could see that little anxious roller coaster start to ignite within you where you had to go call your dad because there was sort of that panic, which honestly then still ignited in me like, oh my God, I've messaged my twin. I haven't called my mom. Oh my God, it's Easter. <laughs> and then this morning, even I looked at my messages. I was like, wow, my dad didn't message me yesterday. Coming from someone who doesn't, you know, I haven't, well, I saw my dad at Jake's funeral, but aside from that, it had been years. I saw him once a five years ago when I initiated that interaction and flew him out to Denver after not seeing him for 14 years. 
Yet still this morning, I was like, hmm, do I want to be mad at my dad for that? Do I want to be upset and hurt because he didn't message me to say happy Easter when really the last time my dad probably said happy Easter to me or was there on Easter with me was literally probably 30 years ago, at least 30 years ago. You just have me thinking I'm shaking my head because I'm having the realization in, in you talking about that, which, yes, there was that kind of old pattern in me. I, I remember feeling that panic. Oh, my gosh, I didn't call a parent on a holiday. And as I'm hearing you talk, I'm sitting here being like, well, wait a minute, scratch, scratch. My dad didn't text me either. <laughs> right? He has a cell phone. He knows my number. And he and I have had this direct conversation. And my dad has directly told me he is of the belief that children call parents, children visit parents. And again, that's another one of these instilled beliefs that for a very long time I had. And every time my dad brings up his belief, it gives me an opportunity to share with him how I don't share that belief, how I believe that a relationship works both ways. And he is more than welcome to text me or call me whenever he so wished. And ultimately that's on him now. Um, and again, all of this came for me after I put that boundary up to create that separation, to discover who I was, which then gave me the opportunity to re-engage with my family, not knowing kind of where they were or how they experienced that time apart. What I did know was I was beginning to feel confident in how I would navigate those old hurdles, those old patterns. And as you witnessed it yesterday, they are still there. What's different now is I have space. I have space where I literally hit pause when a text comes in from a family member or any relationship for that matter at this point to check in with A, do I want to read this text right now? Because maybe I don't. Maybe this person has a message to communicate with me in that moment that I'm not available for, right? I'm giving myself an opportunity. And for me, that means space, time. I don't always know exactly what I want in any immediate moment. So sometimes that means sitting on what once was a reactive decision. Oh, well, I have a text and they need me, so I need to respond back. And now that I have that confidence, I'm able to shift and change and continue to shift and change how I show up in relationship with family, which brings another whole conversation to the surface, which is how do we navigate then those relationships in the occurrence that my family maybe didn't necessarily change? And of course, it's not entirely my story. My family in that time apart have done incredible work on themselves, have began to figure out my sister in particular, who she is and break some of her old patterning and learn how to stand in her own space. So I'm very grateful that my family unit in and of itself and all of the individuals in it are shifting and changing, though that's not always the case. And sometimes what that then means is how do I deal with going back or engaging with family and seeing again those older patterns present in them? Maybe seeing that they don't react favorably or they're not maybe accepting of how we are because that's the case. And this was the case initially when I started with boundaries. My family resisted them, called me selfish, didn't allow me to take that space. And sometimes that remains. We have family members who really struggle to accept the differences in us. One of the most common questions or responses that I get and I know we get just as a team is, you know, what do I do when I am healing, I am growing, I am changing, and my family's not, my partner's not, my loved one's not. And it's very frustrating for people. And I have a lot of compassion, a lot of really felt compassion for 
for those people, for all of you who are listening and who have that experience, it is really profoundly beautiful to love someone and to see them wake up to loving themselves, to start taking care of themselves. It's profound. It's something that really you'll never get over. And in the contrast of that, the polarity that's happening at the same time is also that ache for those who are not changing, who are not evolving or growing, who who really, as much as you know, we don't like to look at it this way, who aren't meeting the expectation that you have now placed on them. Because in reality, you have decided that, you know, this path of healing, of consciousness, of presence, of creating your life intentionally is so uplifting. It's so empowering. We all love it. We want it for everyone. I want to wave a magic wand and just sprinkle it across the world. Now, I have to remind myself literally all day throughout the day, it's available to everyone. Not everyone will take up this practice to to waking up, to looking at themselves. And also there's nothing wrong with that. Just because I've experienced, you know, the power of envisioning something and then having my vision become the actual tangible life around me, that's something I will never get over. But just because I've experienced that and I want that for others doesn't mean that it's valid for me. Well, I guess it could be valid. I'm going to be upset about it and it's never really going to work out for me if I then place that expectation on others. I can hope and want something for others, though my want and desire for them needs to be rooted in action of giving that desire to myself. And I say this with a lot of love and a lot of compassion for the experience of of being on a journey for many years of really creating my life. My life today is not the life that I was born into. And my brothers would tell you that. Both of my parents could tell you that. And it it moves me probably more than anything when I hear Jake and Josh. I, I hear it and I I see it in them. I would see it in Jake when he would look at me. I would hear that crack in their throats or their voice when they'd say, I'm so proud of you. And that I'm so proud of you coming from my brothers is really only something I've heard the last year or two when, you know, the visions, the life that I've been speaking about for a decade, really my whole life seems to suddenly just be here. And that's really magical and really powerful. And I don't think it's more magical or powerful for anyone other than the two siblings who came from the same place that I did. Now we have parents who are very much still in this same place that caused little Jenna to move to the other side of the country, to consistently seek external family and community. My parents really, who actually, if you look at parents as, you know, who who raised you or who taught you or who nourished and nurtured you, they weren't my actual biological parents. You know, my mom worked multiple jobs to keep food on the table. My dad was ultimately disappeared from my life by the time I was probably seven or eight. And that was after multiple years of a nasty struggle with addiction and custody battles and nothing about the chaos or instability or even the addiction and the suffering and negativity of that environment. None of that has changed. That whole world is still there. That close connection to that world, I know, is directly connected 
to the result of why Jake isn't here, why Jake is now dead. Jake struggled immensely his whole life with that pain, with trauma, with not knowing how to cope, not having that family or supportive community, and always having this expectation that it could have or should have been different. Now, it took Jake multiple years of addiction, jail, prison, rehab, multiple overdoses and resuscitation to get to a breaking point of really waking up, of finding the beauty in the present moment. I've never met another human being who could soak in just the the beauty of a single breath in that moment or the nature around them. And that didn't happen until Jake fell so hard to the darkness or bottom that he woke up. He found recovery. He started teaching recovery. He saw his patterns. He saw my parents in a different light. He started to see himself. And along those years, along that way, he got to meet himself. He had years of recovery where he got to meet the depths and the magnitude of his brilliance, his creativity, his heart, why he was here in the world, what he was connected to. And it was in that time period of recovery that I met Jake again. I had a boundary up. I didn't see Jake for about a decade. And over the last year, when Jake began to struggle again, I was, yes, a bit blindsided. I'm thousands of miles away. I didn't know. I can now see the direct impact of that close connection, of still staying in the same environment and the harm that that does cause. Or if we really just want to look at it completely objectively, Jake staying connected to and close to that environment absolutely had an impact on the result of his choices and his actions and his ability to cope with it that ultimately ended in a decision that then ended his life. And I share that as transparently as I can in the moment without completely breaking down because there are still so many things currently with my family, uh, with my mother, with my father in particular, and even my twin, just our family unit that I do keep private still. I'm very transparent here in all of our work. And there's still some stuff and new stuff now that's coming to the surface for me that I don't share yet because it is still so tricky for me to navigate. Parts of it do feel unsafe or do feel negative or do dysregulate me. So for anyone who resonates with that or is listening to us talk and has that experience of family too, where it doesn't feel safe to connect, it doesn't feel safe to to go home, you're 100% not alone. And there is gratefulness and an opportunity for gratitude of the fact that you can even see that. Being aware of my parents' current state or my relationship with them or my relationship with family in general, being aware of and connected to my own authentic self and really my vision of what I want for my life, refocusing on that in moments when I know that, no, I'm not going to pick up that phone call from my mom or I do feel really guilty that I have all these messages from mom or dad, but I also know that In many ways, they don't feel okay. There are boundaries crossed. There's a lot of pain there. Even having the awareness of of that and knowing that there is pain there that doesn't feel right, I'm going to refocus on me. I'm going to go back and get clear on 
my vision, who I am, what I'm doing, where I'm going in the first place, if I can refocus and foster gratitude for that in the present, it also gives me more opportunity to just accept where they are and not make it wrong. It's not good or bad that my family is the way they are. My family is the way they are. And that just is what is. When I look at that objectively and I accept that, I realize that anything other than accepting reality is just me placing expectations on how other people should be living their lives or how they should be responding or treating me. Much like your dad, Nicole, believes that children call their parents. Children get in touch with their parents on holidays. Now, we may not agree with that, but your dad's not wrong. And us not agreeing with that also isn't right or wrong. That's just simply his belief. And when we accept and understand that we all have just so many different beliefs, then we realize there's nothing we can do except actually focus on what's actually so here in the present. I'm really happy you are bringing this up, Jenna, because to be really clear, um, when our boundaries are, boundaries are violated, when we don't feel safe, right, the, the ability or the practice of accepting, you know, that that's coming from someone's wounding or that's where they're at right now can be detrimental to us. And I know um, I had that tendency for a very long time. Um, one could call it, I, for a very long time, I thought it was a superpower because I could always understand when someone was coming from a hurt place, when they were being hurtful. I always had the sense that, you know, they didn't necessarily mean it. I could understand that it was coming from something deeper. And that's the power of acceptance. However, and this played out in one of my early relationships in college, um, I had a girlfriend who was quite verbally abusive and emotionally abusive at times. And because, again, I knew that for her, it was coming from her own deep wounding, I explained it away. I accept it to my own detriment. I accepted that abuse um, for a very long time without speaking up, without putting that hard boundary on again. So acceptance, while powerful, especially those of us who come from those codependent dynamics or from that environment where we weren't allowed or safe to have our own needs, sometimes we just have to watch if we're accepting something and allowing then our boundary to be violated. Because of course, keeping ourselves safe, keeping ourselves connected will be the only pathway to keeping ourselves then authentic in our family relationships, whatever they might look like. And as we're on the journey of healing and becoming our authentic self as individuals and in relationship, a lot of us begin to create new relationships. I know for me, a lot of my healing journey and very early on, I was feeling really lonely. I was having a hard time finding people that I felt safe enough, you know, to be myself with and for me, that's kind of where the initial seed of this idea of this self-healing community, which would ultimately become the self-healer circle, came. And going back to concept you, you talked about or you referred to earlier, Jenna, when you, you referred to a chosen family, um, because a lot of us on our healing journey do get to that space where we begin to choose who will this new core group of people be. For some of us, it includes maybe our romantic partner or partners and maybe our own children. And for others, it might include friendships or other relationships that we begin to call our core family. And like I said, not really knowing where to find these people really on in my healing journey, um, I felt really, really lonely. And so this idea of creating a, a virtual community or a space even 
where I could connect with like-minded people, with people who spoke my language, who are on a similar journey, or who are just beginning to look at the world in this more conscious way. Um, I really, really wanted that. And of course, that's where this idea for the self-healer circle came, really honoring that we get to choose. We do get to a place in our lives where we get to have a say in creating the relationships or the family that feels the safest and the most authentic to each of us. And really, we get that say every moment of every day. We just have to wake up to the fact that we do have that say. And we have to become bold enough to actually take responsibility and say, it is my choice. I can choose and actually am responsible for choosing the people around me. And it's something that evolves. My chosen family, I know I've always resonated with that term, probably because all throughout my life, it was my chosen family or my friends that became my core group. And even, you know, as a teenager into my 20s, my close friends or my chosen family were all like a decade older. I was the baby of it. And I can see where I sought that. I sought people who were aligned with where I was going, with who I knew I was internally and maybe needed to grow a bit to get there. That's always who I was seeking to be around. Now, you know, fast forward 10, 20 years, some of those chosen family are still around or I'm still connected with. Some have drifted a bit and there are new ones. And that's beautiful. It's an open evolution that is always going to be, again, a backdrop. My chosen family is a backdrop for me to look at the period of my life and who was around me and now where I am and who's still aligned, what is aligned, what's not aligned. If you can start to see the differences or maybe you connect again with an old friend that you haven't spoken to in a decade or some years and you connect with them and notice that, you know, conversation's different. You don't really connect on a lot of things or you just see maybe you've grown in separate ways. All of that is just feedback. It's just opportunity for you to understand the other person and really filter out what is aligned and for you to have a say in who and what is aligned. And part of this evolving, growing beingness that we all have is, well, not part of, I should say all of it, is what really fuels my love for our self-healer circle community and really the world at large of where we're going is that there is a way to compassionately and authentically express to other people that, you know, this is where you're at. This is who you want to connect with. This is what you're seeking right now. And maybe person X isn't seeking that same thing, but they've been right by your side your whole life. There's a way to have that conversation that is from love, that is from compassion. And there's opportunity for you to then fill your time, fill your connections and conversations with the people that are in the space that you want to be going. And that's exactly what is created inside the Self Healer Circle community. There are members from 65, at least and counting, different countries, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, you name it. It's a total adversity of people who are all finding connection through expressing their authentic selves and through maybe trying on one day, putting themselves 
out there or through doing the work, showing up to the live events and maybe not even outwardly commenting or engaging, but engaging through being present in the space with other members, listening to whatever the workshop or tool or course topic is at hand, reading the other feedback and comments and engagement from members to even just grasp and understanding and a feel for this new world of people that are out there that are having conversation that is aligned for me. But it's really members. And for any of you members who are listening, it is you guys who create what the circle is. You are the ones who create this diverse community who has experienced a whole array of different adversities and triumphs. And it's your engagement with one another that has really fostered this whole new awakening and opportunity for people to just be themselves, to see themselves in someone who may look and act and sound or come from a background that is entirely different from them, though they're connected on a heart level, they're connected on a soul level, they're connected on a vision of who they authentically are. I absolutely love, Jenna, how this conversation is kind of coming to an end around this concept of evolution. Right? And really honoring that in all of relationships, even in family relationships, even in our longest tenured relationships, the ones we've had for decades, there is still, there can still be room and space for change, for evolution, for shifts, for growth, for everything in between. So anyone who's out there listening who is interested in being a part of the self-healer circle um, as part of their evolution um, in conversation and in, in being and healing mentioning it here now because we are getting ready to open. We only open enrollment three times a year. And coming up on May 2nd, we will be opening enrollment for anyone interested in the self-healer circle. So as a reminder, we only send out enrollment links through a wait list. So anyone who's interested in getting on the wait list so that you have an opportunity to enroll on May 2nd, head to the website theholisticpsychologist.com and you'll see a Dropbox. You can input your email, jump on that wait list and get all of the information for this upcoming enrollment in May. And if you don't know what the Self-Healer Circle is, it is our online virtual self-led healing community each month, each week of every month. Actually, we do live events so we can show up live, engage with all of our members from around the world. And then each month we release a new course topic with a multitude of tools, meditations, practices. So different tools for you to harness and discover on your journey of healing. And really the basis of it is, priority of it, I should say, is to create that chosen family, to create a network of of people and really of like-minded beings who do feel familiar, who do become family because that's what we create them as. It is our heart space being shared with one another. And we would love, of course, for any and all of you to join us. As Nicole mentioned, the only way to enroll is by joining the waitlist. You can do that at theholisticpsychologist.com slashed waitlist. We will be opening for enrollment on May 2nd. If you're listening to this later on, fret not, we will open enrollment again in a couple of months, as we always do. And of course, to all of you listening, you are truly becoming our self-healer soundboard family. And we are committed, Jenna and I, to continuing to show up as who we are, where we are, and continue to have these conversations as part of our own healing journeys and as part of our own creation of 
quite literally this global self-healing family. Let us know what comes up for you as you're listening, what you'd like to hear, really anything. We love hearing from you guys, our Self-Healer Soundboard family. So thank you again for listening, and we look forward to being with you again next week.